0: A century and some back, the world was a fast place, and getting faster by the minute. Newfangled steam engines catapulted people from place to place at a stupefying 30 kilometers per hour. And Samuel Morris's code machine could relay dots and dashes instantaneously anywhere the wire leads. Within minutes, messages could pass from Canada to England, from England to India newspapers were quick to capitalize on this instant information. Stories weren't weeks or even months old anymore. Before long, papers were publishing several editions a day, updated with the latest from out of town. One story has it that during the U.S. Civil War, telegraphers would take to signaling three X's to indicate the end of a message, taken by some at its Roman numeral value, 30. Another has it that telegraphers would signal 30 to indicate that they were taking a half hour break. For the moment, they had no more news to convey. So it was that by the 20th century, newspaper writers took to writing 30, the number with a dash on either side, to mark the end of their copy. But by that time, something had happened to the news business. It had discovered advertising ad space became a cash cow. Agencies representing big brand clients used the telegraph to run newspaper ads in dozens, even hundreds of cities. And technology helped newspapers oblige them. Typecasting machines made it easier for big papers to expand from 4, 8 or 12 pages to 32 or even 48 pages, which meant they could sell even more ad space. Ah, but the demand for ad space fueled competition from rival papers. Suddenly it was a newspaper's task, not just to deliver information, but also to compete for advertisers' dollars and deliver a readership that would attract those advertisers. There could be no breaks, 30 minutes or otherwise. Pages had to be filled to appease clients. Audiences had to be attracted to content. Stories were conveyed even generated to attract maximum readership. The angle of stories and even the image of the paper itself became vital to the business of information. Simply reporting events has long since given way to branding the news in the age of persuasion. I want chicken, I want liver. I want a bottle of Coca-Cola, Donnie. That's us, spicy meat the Hey, great. A toothpaste should fight capping. I can't believe I ate that whole... Space Patrol Microscope with a mysterious atomic particle that glows in the dark. And now, Terry O'Reilly and the Age of Persuasion. (gasps) There you go again. Imagine it's the beginning of an average day and you've begun your morning ritual. Okay Keith, a little too much information there. You pick up the morning newspaper and across the front page is a modest headline in 24-point type reading, Nothing Happened. Nothing, hmm? Now there's a story you don't read every day. Don't you wonder how that's being handled on the air? This is News on the Hour. Good morning. I'm Iona Hoover. In the news today, let's see. Nope. Nuh-uh. Nope. Nothing. And that is national and international News on the Hour. Stay with us throughout the day for more on these and other stories. Or visit our website. Nothing is a pretty big story. Don't you wonder how CNN's handling it? Gone fishing on the Time Warner Yacht. Back tomorrow. Hmm. Are there days when there's no news you really need to know? Absolutely. Is that what a paper or newscast would ever dare say? Not a chance. Whether it's a slow news day, or September 11, 2001, news providers promise content. Often they'll promise insight, accuracy, and though few use the word, they often promise entertainment. The news isn't information. Today, it's a brand experience. Every day, seven days a week, a newspaper will run a given number of pages, a broadcast will run a fixed number of minutes, regardless of how busy the news day has been. The one story they wouldn't dare report is that a news day is slow, or that the top stories really simply won't affect your life. It's odd enough that delivering news isn't just about serving an audience. Odder still is the fact that it never really was. Even in the beginning, news was a demanding gig. Ask Pheidippides. In 490 BC, goes the legend, the powers that be assigned him to take news to the Greeks in Sparta that those pesky Persians were attacking Marathon. It's said he ran 240 kilometers in two days. Then, when the Greeks prevailed in Marathon, he was instructed to convey the good news to Athens some, yes, 26 miles away. According to legend, after running that first marathon he announced the news victory is ours then promptly expired oh. nowadays that's the sort of thing newscasters prefer to save for ratings week oh yay, oh yay, oh yay. in old england town criers were commissioned to spread news usually as agents of the monarch for instance a crier might have read the riot act The King chargeth and commandeth all persons, being assembled, immediately to disperse themselves, and peaceably to depart to their habitations, or to their lawful business, upon the pains contained in the Act, made in the first year of King George, for preventing tumults and riotous assemblies. God save the King! And because the news wasn't always good, criers were protected. Don't shoot the messenger was more than a catchphrase. It was the law. Uh, oops. With Gutenberg came print and pamphlets, often political and critical of authority. Some notable writers moonlighted as pamphleteers, including Gulliver's Travels author Jonathan Swift, who wrote first for the Tories, then the Whigs. By the 19th century, political parties created newspapers to propagate their case. In the earliest days, those favoring the government might be rewarded with newsprint subsidies and discounted postal rates. Those opposed often wound up in the clink. Why? For the same reason, when rebels take the capital city, their first objective is the radio and TV stations. Information is power. As Benjamin Franklin warned when he wrote, never argue with someone who buys ink by the barrel. So it was in Canada, reformers had the globe, Tories had the mail, liberal backers later bought the Toronto Star as a voice for Prime Minister Wilfrid Laurier. Enter advertisers, and a whole new revenue stream for newspapers, and expansion to reach consumers, and, well, this is where we came in. As newspapers enjoyed their honeymoon with advertisers, few might have noticed a gentleman from France parading around with a strange wooden box with a crank handle. He was Charles Pathé, father of the newsreel. News on the mark! They could never match newspapers for immediacy or detail. What Pathé and his followers would do is furnish millions of theater-goers with production values no newspaper could offer. The German Zeppelin Hindenburg, queen of the skies, seen here from a universal newsreel camera plane as it sped over New York to its tragic end at Lakehurst, New Jersey, now lies at the Naval Air Station a twisted mass of metal. But here's the thing. Cinema was an entertainment medium. News films made for cinema naturally adopted the trappings of popular film. Dramatic music, sound effects, intense narrative, and heart-wrenching stories. Passengers and crew, the fortunate among them, fell or jumped and were dragged to safety before the fiery furnace took their lives. Heroic work by Navy and Army men risking their lives around the white hot skeleton snatched more than one dazed and half- In the context of an entertainment medium, newsreels, logically, were packaged as entertainment. Ah, but if it wasn't entertaining, if it didn't have worthy pictures, in the world of newsreels, it wasn't news. This- It's Trafalgar Square. The noise that you hear at the moment is the sound of the air raid siren. Radio delivered its own brand of pictures, with the drama of newsreels, the advertising-based economic model of print, yet with immediacy and a sense of place that newspapers couldn't match. Moreover, radio also marked a new era, personality-based journalism. The Americans had Edward R. Murrow. In this blackness, it looks very much like a ship that's passing in the night, and you just see the porthole. While in Canada... This is Matthew Halton of the CBC, speaking from France. It's two minutes to five. Two minutes to five in Normandy. And the sun hasn't risen yet, over us or over the Germans 800 yards away. It will rise on a fearful scene, because at 5 o'clock precisely, the Canadians are going to attack. Overseas, the BBC had kept its newsreaders anonymous, but but began naming them during World War II to distinguish their reports from those of German propagandists. Here is the midnight news, and this is Alvar Liddell reading it. Up to 10 o'clock, 175 German aircraft have been destroyed in today's raids over this country even this mighty troika of newspapers, radio, and newsreels wouldn't compete with a new entertainment medium. I have some very interesting information. In less than a generation, it would change everything. I must say, I'm surprised. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first report. Television and only television would combine the most powerful elements from each of the other media. It was bankrolled by advertising, founded on strong visual images, it was immediate and dominated by personalities. TV news would be synonymous with its messengers. Earl Cameron, Huntley and Brinkley, John Cameron Swayze, and especially Walter Cronkite. The flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Each medium has changed the news business, but none so profoundly. With television, the era of delivering the news was over. The era of selling the news was about to begin. My name is Terry O'Reilly. And this is the Age of Persuasion. For most of the past century, the news business has wrapped itself snugly within the myth of impartiality. News folk have come to fancy themselves as warriors of the truth. Untouchables, immune to the whims of those who pay their bills. Granted, Television news didn't get that memo right away. The Camel News Caravan presents Today's News Today. Ladies and gentlemen, a good evening to you. Now from Milwaukee come films of a tragic and startling train wreck. Note the line, Today's News Today. A dig at newspapers and newsreels. In those days, few saw the harm in tying a sponsor to a television newscast. Few remember that TV's legendary Huntley-Brinkley report was originally the Texaco Huntley-Brinkley report. In time, though, TV news got with the program. Oddly enough, the earliest newspapers were entirely transparent about their motives and masters. Not so today. Go ahead. Ask a modern news organization, who's your daddy? ABC News is part of a network owned by Disney. CBS News is ultimately owned by Sumner Redstone through the theater giant National Amusements, which also owns Viacom. Cutting checks at NBC are General Electric, and French media giant Vivendi. But you're gonna have to serve somebody. As if bosses aren't enough, news media must also be wary of their bosses' bosses, advertisers who ultimately pay their tab. How can a newscast objectively report a negative story about a major automaker, a big brand credit card, or a pharmaceutical giant, then throw to a message from their sponsor A major automaker, a big brand credit card, and a pharmaceutical giant. How can a Saturday paper, whose ads and flyers might buckle the wheels of a good hand truck, report objectively on an anti-consumerism rally? How can a radio newscast warn motorists to stay home during a blizzard, then throw to an ad luring shoppers to the final hours of a big sale? Ah, grasshopper we've reached the heart of the enduring mystery of news. Is it about conveying truth, or is it about persuading an audience to watch? The answer, of course, is yes. Though the tribes of editorial and shareholders are in constant tension, they agree on this. They need an audience, namely, you. Which is why newspapers and newscasts have come to adopt many of the principles and tactics that also drive modern advertising. For starters, they brand themselves. As soon as that whistle blows, I'm out of here. Because at 5 o'clock, I want to be home with Action News. Not just news, know, Action News. It's not a description, it's a promise. And a promise, however ridiculous, is at the heart of every brand. Relax and enjoy Action News. Keep Coming home keep on coming home keep on coming home to. Action news. Alas, that's old news. Papers were branding themselves, even before Adolf Ochs bought the New York Times in 1896, and ran the line "All the news that's fit to print on his editorial page, and in every edition since. Altered by Rolling Stone with tongue-in-cheek to read all the news that fits. Some position themselves as family papers. Tabloids often fancy themselves the people paper, while some simply regard themselves as the paper. Nothing is news, blustered London Times editor Ralph Deakin, until it has appeared in the columns of the Times. If the heart of a brand is a promise, the body it's wrapped in is all about packaging. This is Kent Brockman reporting to you on a crisis so serious it has its own name and theme music. A point made oh-so-elegantly in The Simpsons movie and in James L. Brooks' brilliant broadcast news, where two musicians pitch their news theme to the network. It starts off with this very high-tech syntho sequency type thing, like this. That's the news! Take the da, 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 da. For all the work that goes into gathering news, just as much work is spent on packaging. The sets, the pace, teaser ads, the copy, the structure of each show. Cancel the DNA test. Today there's no doubt that TV news is the direct descendant of the old newsreels. Big finish! Ba, ba, da, da. I got chills. especially with its Hollywood splashes, such as James Earl Jones' famous voice ID for CNN, or The Quest, a theme composed by John Williams for NBC News. Yet the greatest asset of TV news is also its most damning liability, the cult of personality. This is the CBS Evening News with Katie Couric reporting tonight from Bedford, New Hampshire. Good evening, everyone. Voting begins in just a few hours. First thing tomorrow morning. Katie Couric became the CBS News anchor for a reported $15 million a year. Rivals Charlie Gibson of ABC and NBC's Brian Williams each find a way to scrape by on a reported $8 million. But you can't really blame networks, fun though that is. Audiences are drawn to personalities more than to coverage. Salaries are set not according to experience or talent, but according to the ad revenue an anchor is expected to draw via the audience he or she can attract. A rare show of emotion from Senator Clinton when she took a question from a voter. Whether they like it or not, Two centuries after Ben Franklin bought his last barrel of ink, popular news anchors wield enormous influence whether they want to or not. I'm and this is our anchor desk in Control Studio A for CBS News Westinghouse coverage of this 1956 Democratic Convention. And this is the dramatic high point of the convention coming today, this afternoon session, with the nominations of the gentlemen for the presidential nomination by the Democrats. There's an interesting theory as to why this is, and it goes back to the 1950s. As television came to dominate millions of living rooms, Newsreaders like Walter Cronkite began appearing on television screens in a tight close-up. He began talking to people from a few feet away. Within a space we usually reserve for conversation about personal matters with people we trust. He implicitly became trustworthy in our minds. And, with trust, comes influence. It seems now more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate. Some say Walter Cronkite marked the beginning of the end of the Vietnam War. In 1968, Cronkite editorialized against the U.S. role there. President Lyndon Johnson is said to have responded, if I've lost Cronkite, I've lost Middle America. The world comes closer to the brink of cosmic disaster. Embarrassed by his godlike standing in popular culture, Cronkite became the harshest, most vocal critic of gimmick-laden, personality-based journalism. Jim Axelrod, Jim, thank you. Forty years later, CBS would trade on the Cronkite aura, branding Katie Couric with the line, Experience You Can Trust. It's a disastrous line to use, and I'll tell you why. Trust, in clinical marketing terms, is the emotional benefit to the product the CBS News with Katie Couric. In my business, emotional insights are meant to be felt, not stated. Leonard Cohen once said, art is the concealment of art. If you blurt out an emotional benefit, you immediately become suspect. The phrase, trust me, is one of the most radioactive a marketer can use. It's about as counterproductive as saying, I am not a crook, because it prompts immediate questions. And they're not good questions. Soap operas love the phrase because it sounds so fishy. They know the line, Marjorie, trust me, really means, Marjorie, I'm going to poison you and marry your sister. Instead of boasting about trust, many newspapers and broadcasters simply earn it, while others, just as often, squander it by making news seem bigger and more important than it really is. There's an old story about an editor who kept a set of 60-point type, but never used it, despite nagging from his staff. When asked why, he finally admitted, I'm saving it for the second coming of Christ. In today's tabloid culture, a 60-point headline is barely a whisper. Tabloid headlines twice that size commonly scream news of a garbage strike, heavy snowfall, or of the newest Britney Spears implosion du jour. And it's no coincidence that it's usually bad news. There's a conventional wisdom that bad news is more saleable. In a letter to Pierre Trudeau, Marshall McLuhan once wrote, Real news is bad news. Since the press lives on advertising and all advertising is good news, It takes a lot of bad news to sell all this good news. Even the good news of the gospel can only be sold by hellfire. No one owns the news. Big stories become common property. So what brands a news provider is the way it gathers and delivers stories. Now here's the rub. Effectively reporting the news is an expensive proposition. To most, that means ad revenue. Advertisers require an audience and the insatiable desire for viewers shapes news content. Katie Couric wasn't hired for her news chops, but rather, as her boss said, to attract women and a younger audience. And the unnamed accomplice? Consumers, who bypass meat and potatoes reporting in favor of journalism's junk food aisle, ever stocked with empty calorie tales of gore, sports scores, and celebrity gossip. With information so easy to come by, and wary of the specter of red ink, today's newspapers and broadcasters continue to take pages, even chapters, from the marketing playbook. News today is as much about branding, personality, packaging and selling the news as it is about conveying information. Most will say they have no choice. After all, what if they gave the news and no one came in the age of persuasion? So, what's new in the world? Let's see. Ooh, The Age of Persuasion is created and written by Terry O'Reilly and Mike Tennant. <laughs> Who cares? Hmm. Brittany, Paris, Lindsay. Oh, the comics. <laughs> There's engineer Keith Ullman. <laughs> Network buys TV script from Chimp. Vagan Vampire Attacks Trees. Oh, come on. Title theme by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. <laughs> Who believe that? Please. The Age of Persuasion is produced for CBC Radio by... Continued on page D18. Pirate Toronto.